The following views expressed are those of the speakers and do not represent the views of DOD Arts Components. Pay attention because you are now listening to Permission to Speak Freely. 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 All right, so let's get right to it. Like, let's get right to it. So we've done one DRB since we started this podcast. We've done one DRB. And that was me doing a DRB on myself because I went to work when I had COVID and I shouldn't have, right? If you listen to the podcast, you'll get the whole story. I ain't just do no crazy stuff, you know? So you'll get the whole story and you could kind of make a decision. But we doing another DRB. We doing another DRB today, uh, and that DRB we doing is going to be on Damon, right? We going to be doing, and, and I'm glad because I got Steve <laughs> over here to help me out and make this decision, right? And then we'll get in, we'll get more into Steve and everything he got going on as we go through. But first thing first, we yeah. got this DRB. So Steve, mm. so we what watch, you got, bro? What you got? We watch movies, right? We watch movies. I'm so glad we got an objective air on this one. But we watch movies and we review them, right? Military movies, our TV shows, and review them. So we 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 went from movies to TV shows for a reason. I ain't gonna get in that reason yet because that's my big fucking that's my big Joker, right? Um, but um, so we just we went through Band of Brothers, right? We did Band of Brothers, then we did the other Navy SEAL show. And then we went to Echo 3, right? It's a show about some commandos that's on Apple TV Plus. And um, the Navy... What was the Navy SEAL show name, Damon? Help me out, Damon. Uh, Terminal List. So, Terminal so List. So Terminal List, right? So we watch, So we said, hey, let's watch Terminal List. We'll watch it week by week and we'll review it episodically. Um, week two, I think I came in here and Damon was like, hey, man, I finished the whole show. I was like, damn, like what happened to the week by week episodic reviews? He was like, I couldn't help it, bro. You know, I, you know, I finished. So I'm like, all right, cool. You know, it just happened with this show, easy day, right? So we come back in here, we like, all right, let's go, let's watch Echo 3. So, you know, we watch one up, we watch what? One episode. Yeah, pretty much one episode. We came in here, we reviewed episode two. And then last week, when we talked about reviewing this week, Damon said, hey man. I got to be honest with you. And I said, what? <laughs> you watched the whole show already? He was like, yeah, man. I watched the whole show. <laughs> right? And it ain't really mean much to me at the time, but throughout the week, like, it festered. You know what I mean? It festered. And I wanted to put it on the table and address it, man. Amen. So, yeah. You're wrong, man. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. I mean, I can agree to a certain extent, man. I agree I'm wrong. But let me tell you this. If the show was whack, I probably wouldn't have watched it all. But you know how you, you when you watch it, it's good and you want to know what's going on next. But I'm going to tell you what happened, what really happened, though. This is honest truth, man. And I think this is who should be on DRB. It's my wife. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that to her, man. Don't do that to her. Because I'm here to tell you, man, she like it, too. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Now, I can't make her wait, man. She ready to watch it. And she, like, looking at me and we can't watch stuff separately. You know what I mean? So it's like, man, I... I guess I got to watch it too. So I feel like if I'm on DRB, talk to me, world. If I'm on DRB, I feel like she should be on DRB too. World, since you always bring the world into this shit, <laughs> world, let me bring up one more point, right? One of the reasons why we went to TV shows is because they normally last an hour. It's funny. I don't even feel like I need this. This is my big joker. Right, right now, it's just like I'm overplaying right my hand, right? But TV shows normally last an hour. When we started reviewing yeah. movies, remember the first like two and a half hour movie, Damon? 
What you say? Yeah, it was bro. like, yo, it's too long, right? But if you binge watching a show, you watching it longer than two hundred. You might watch three episodes. That's three hours. Yeah. So one more thing too. Just, just I'm, I'm kind of doing some extra shit too, though. You know what I mean? Because when I watched everything and watch it all, I didn't have to go back. Yeah, that's just that's just to review that's, the episode. I'm doing more. Yeah, that's shit, just so not I smart. Think, you know, like, it's just not smart. Exactly. So I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not hurting nothing by you know by doing this. I'm kind of like. You know, doing a little extra. All right, so since DRB is a fact-finding mission, right? Let, let's ask some questions, right? Do you think you fucked up for doing this? That's the first question. <laughs> Are you wrong for this? Oh, that's tough, bro. That's a tough one. Um... All right, let's bring Steve in, man. You're taking too fucking long, man. Let's bring Steve in. <laughs> hey, Steve, man, what's your thoughts on this? Should Damon be going ahead of me on these TV shows? Or is he just well in line? Or should we bring his wife into this whole thing? What's your thoughts on this? Steve? No, man. I mean, that's on him. He got to keep his house in order if he, you know, but. <laughs> but I don't know if you're just looking at it from a content perspective, then yeah. I mean, who cares? Right. As long as you're not like uh, you're not spilling into your review from the episode because you can't keep track of what episode. But uh, I don't know. I think it's, if you'd like, my thoughts are, who cares? Hey, That's Steve. just one man talking. Steve, spot on, Steve, spot on. Right. Spot so I got on, the little man. joker. Spot I got on. the little joker. Glad you brought that up, Steve. When we watch Band of Brothers, right, we watched it together at the same time. So when we came and we did our reviews, we had the same amount of passion and zest when we reviewed these episodes, right? Because we were there together. Now that Damon finished the whole show, it was actually like when we were reviewing the last show, he was like, oh, man, wait till you get to episode nine. Mm. Like, it wasn't even like we were living together on the episode anymore. And it messed up our content. Yeah. Hey, I got you, bro. That, I mean, that, that that makes a little bit of a sense. Well, in, but in light of that, I, I still think I still I, I still as long as I'm not going ahead, though, I feel like, you know, the content is the content, you know. Now, I'm listening to Steve. I'm listening. Yeah, to it, well, it sounded like you had some. Uh, in light of that information, maybe I have to reconsider <laughs> my my stance. But yeah. I don't know. Can you handle going ahead, Damon? Is the question. With that, yeah. Well, without without getting all the, all, all excited about what's going to happen. Yeah. Wait till you see that. Right, you get all ex- get excited, <laughs> yeah, and then you lose the passion and and the wonder, if yeah. you will, for what happens next. It's a million TV yeah, shows right. on TV, hey, man. It's hey, a million. Steve, TV. you make a Steve, you make a great point. You make a great point, Steve. I tell you this, Terminal List was crazy though. You couldn't, I couldn't hold back. You know, I couldn't hold back. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I tell you this, Dumbo. You know, I think I'm wrong, man. Thank you, thank you. And the only re- the only you, reason why I'm 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 saying I'm wrong because you were, you one one point you made. When I said the fact that I was going ahead and said, man, can't wait to see that. that I got it, I got yeah, it man. I, Steve brought yeah, it out of me, man. By a little bit, though. I mean, but Steve made a great point, too, when he said, loans ain't messing up the content. So I, I remember next time not to tell you, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you should just go beat this up. Uh, hey, well, look, since we have been talking about uh, uh, Echo 3 and we have been talking about Terminal List, I do uh, want to bring you in a little bit, Steve, on just your history in the Navy because you are a uh, retired Navy, correct? Yep, retired uh, Navy SEAL Mass Chief. Hmm. Do you watch these TV shows at all about SEALs and things of that nature? Uh, 
Not usually. I think I did watch Terminal List. I, I enjoyed that. You know, it's fantasy, but, you know, I, I served with the guy that wrote that series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, I'll give it a, I'll give it a shot. And I, I like, um, what's his name? The actor. I can't. And, and I, you know, the stories, it's way over the top, right? Nobody's <laughs> like, it's, it's pure fantasy. But if you can kind of separate yourself from that and just look at the fact that, Hey, they got the, they got the tactics, the equipment, you know, they went in, you know, like in the old days, you watch a movie, like in the eighties, nineties, it's like, you can tell they it's all bullshit, right? There's no, there's no kind of really commitment to trying to get it right as tactically as possible. Right. As you look at shows now and I don't watch the other stuff really, but mm-hmm. you look at it like I, I, I kind of think like Black Hawk Down was one of the the one that kind of ushered in and, and World War Two stuff. Band of Brothers, man, that looked awesome. I, I can't relate to that time period, but you yeah. know, at least the Terminal List. I, I can't speak to Echo Three. I haven't seen that, but at least they, you know, they're trying to do it right within that realm of fantasy. Right at a certain point, you got to be like. You can't look at Star Wars and be like, oh, that I can't believe that would never happen. You're like, no shit, that would never happen, right? <laughs> yeah. So I saw, I read a report about, um, well, actually saw it on YouTube about a group of, it was a group of SEALs, uh, um, maybe some other special forces uh, communities in that group, but they were not too happy with the, like the recent surge in a lot of like, uh, seal related entertainment and things of that nature. Uh, are you, do you got any information on that? You, did you read that article as well? No, I haven't read that article. You know, it's as somebody who kind of, I I speak professionally, so I'm kind of out there and I don't, I don't want to be too hypocritical and hypocritical and condemnation. You know, it's, I mean, in in the old days when I was young, it was kind of like, it was very frowned upon, you know, to kind of come out and write books and do all that kind of stuff. But then at a certain point, it's like, you know, I know right when I was in probably five years, six years before I retired, there was conversations about guys coming out, writing books. And it's kind of like one of the things that I pushed back on was like, well, senior leaders in the military, they go out and they make a shit ton of money on Mm -hmm. books and speaking tours but the second it's like an enlisted guy comes out and starts talking about stuff, then all of a sudden, you know, people lose their shit about it. Now, if you're revealing tactics, techniques, procedures, um, you know, as, as as far as how we locate, we fix targets and things like that and things that's going to affect our lethality on the battlefield, then that's a serious issue. Um, I know when I wrote my book, it was like it was very I tried to water that piece down. I tried to change things and. And, you know, run it through the Department of Defense to make sure that they were good with everything that I put. So that's the right way to do it. I think, you know, it's the the train has left the station in terms of like coming down on people for doing stuff as long as they do with integrity and honesty. And and they're not going to do things that damage, uh, I think, you know, us, our ability to do our job as, as, as a military and damage the reputation. And you, you brought up your book. I, I actually, I wish that I would have, you know, read it even before uh, speaking with you, but, um, how long ago, uh, was this book released? Hey, so it hasn't even been released yet. I started this project. So it was, um, uh, I got, a, I retired from the military 2019 and I decided I was going to be do speaking consulting. Cause that's what I really like to do. I like to connect with people. I, I like to talk about things that have helped me and how I can translate them to kind of the business world. 
And so I was like, well, I, I want to be in to me primarily selfishly. The book was really about trying to help drive my speaking business. And I was like, well, I, I, I was already getting booked for their speeches. And I'm like, I, I don't want to write a damn book. I'll get somebody to, to ghostwrite it. And I look at how much that costs and then bam, COVID hits. And I'm yeah. like, well, I guess I'm writing this motherfucker myself. Right. <laughs> and so it took me about two years to write. And so now it's, um, like within a week, the pre-orders will be available and then it launches officially on March 7th, 23. What's the title of it? It's called life on the X Navy SEALs guide to meeting any challenge with courage, confidence, and readiness. So it's kind of like a business slash self-help book, help book. There's some stories in there, but I interview like athletes and CEOs to really get their take on really how to show up with intent and being deliberate with setting the table for success when it comes to your kind of your key moments, you know, your defining uh-huh. moments and key opportunities in life. So it's really about that. It's prescriptive. Okay. We, uh, it's on my list already. <laughs> I'll get, I, I'll be, it's right on the list. We do books every week. We review them. I'm starting a book club very soon. Um, it's called book. <laughs> it's called book club, uh, building on our knowledge. So I'm starting a book club very soon. So it's definitely on my list. Uh, thank you for that. Now will um, Damon be reading ahead on that too? Damon don't read the, uh, <laughs> the, the books. Damon don't read the books. Damon, tell him now what it was. The audio book. We got audio books. Let him know, Damon. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to start, man. I'm going to start, man. I'm going to start reading these books, man. I, but audio books, that I was, I, in the beginning we started, I, I, I was doing a couple here and there. Then I started school. Then I kind of like uh, just dropped off. Then I hear you. I hear you. Oh, not, I don't read yeah. as much as I should. And But audio books, like go walk around the neighborhood, sit in the sun or something like that and listen. Then it works out great. Yeah, I just I only do oh, audio books now because I could go and clean up and you know wash. I'm reading a book right now, and I I, I really don't want to talk about it yet. But um, it's a it's a weird it's a weird it's a Stephen King book, but it's a pretty weird book. So I'll get into it some yeah. other day. All right. Hey, um, I I got a question for y'all, unrelated to Navy, but so the best and the greatest, right? So these are two titles that I toss around and I separate the two titles, right? I look at the best as like the most skilled person in whatever it is that they do. So for me, for basketball, right? To talk basketball, I think LeBron James is the best basketball player that I've ever seen, right? The best basketball player that I've ever seen. But I think Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player that I've ever seen. So I look at greatest as like a person that can like overcome like it's not all skills. It's like heart, soul, your desire, like what you can overcome. And just, if you have that will to, to win and always kind of, you know, be there on time on spot. So that's my uh, distinction between best and greatest. But I I wonder uh, what you guys think. Do y'all see a difference or what? Well, man, I I tell you this, it's close for me though. Like when you think about best and greatest, um, it's, it's one of those things, one or two or three things um, to extinguish yourself to be the greatest of all times. When you, if we, we put this in the Navy terms, right? We talking about the best, we always talk about best qualified or something to that nature, right? So what makes you, what could make you the greatest qualified? I don't think it's nothing out there. I don't think we look at it like that as the greatest qualified. We're looking at the best qualified, right? So if I was talking about greatest, man, I'm thinking about, for, for my rating, right, being a DC man, right? If we talking about you trying to be the, the the greatest DC man, I have to look at it as being the greatest repair division. I could be the best DC man, 
but I could be the greatest when it comes to repair division. Can right? you even put that's, this that's, in that's the Navy M- terms, man? Hold up. Hold I got you, bro. I got this. Bro. <laughs> so when I'm talking about greatest, I'm talking about repair division. I'm talking about HTs, DC, and I'm talking about MRs. Now you told my you want to be the greatest. Can you freaking use that meal? Can you use that lay? Can you freaking whale? You know what I mean? Can you be a great firefighter? Now I'm putting this in a in a in a repair division. Then you say, man, this dude, he's great because he can do he can put all three of these jobs together in one because all those jobs in repair division. That's kind of how I can, I can put it together, man. When it comes to like best, because you always gonna have like best. This guy, this guy here is good, man. He's qualified. He's all the way up. He's good to go. He's the best at what he's doing right now. When you saw my greatest, man, you're talking about Michael Jordan, right? You know what I mean? But I put LeBron up there too when you're talking about the greatest too. You know, it's, it's, it's just different times and different terms and and people playing at different I'm going to talk know, about of all times. Time. Of all time. Yeah, yeah. I got you. You just said it's different times. Yeah, I know you're saying of all times, but they playing in different eras. That's why I don't get into that debate too much, man. I feel like they when they play in different eras and all that type of stuff, you know, it's just different. Michael Jordan was asked to do one thing when he played. Like, LeBron could be asked to do multiple things. Only thing they wanted Michael Jordan to do is score and play defense. LeBron, sis, rebounds, scoring, he doing a lot, a lot of stuff. Oh, but yeah. okay. I can argue that all day, but I don't, I don't really yeah. want to. You know, because I, I don't know if, yeah. if we know what questions were asked to Michael Jordan. Like, hey, like you wasn't in the locker room when they were asking Michael Jordan questions. <laughs> you know true. what I'm saying? Like, that's true. <laughs> what what that's about true. you, uh, Steve? You think it's a difference between the best and the greatest? Well, you know, and, and I think you both hit on something. You hit on some really good points. And I think, you know, you get into language and, and it's like you define the language you're talking about. Right. And you kind of articulated that. It's like, hey, what I hear you say, maybe it's not what you intended. What I heard is you're talking about the best. It's almost like at that tactical level, like skill, skill, what you can do. And I think of like the best and in a more defined role. And I think that's what you're getting at. Like, Hey, the best natural shooter. And again, I don't know shit about basketball, but (laughs) you know, as opposed to when I think great, you know, you, if you look at like a Michael Jordan and again, you're, you're right, Damon, about, the different eras, right? You know, Michael Jordan, that was like, when you say greatest, because he was such an incredible and standout brand, obviously he was phenomenal and, and he was, but, but he was so fun to watch. Like he was so crazy to watch to somebody who doesn't really know basketball. Right. But now today it's like the, everybody's got a brand. Everybody's yeah. kind of ubiquitous. Everybody's out there. Right. And so and I think, Michael Jordan was special because of what he did in that time period. And maybe that makes LeBron more special because he stands out in front of all that noise. But to me, in the greater sense, if you're talking about best versus greatest, you know, you always, you probably have heard this in the Navy, right? It's all about, you get to a certain position of leadership. And the question you should be asking yourself every day is how am I training my replacement today? Right. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at great, it's like, what are the, is the legacy? Are you good at just this one thing? Are you good at this skill? Or are you also good at developing other people? Are you good at taking a whole collective bunch of people and moving it towards a common objective and do the things that you do and say and how you show up in the world? Does that leave a meaningful mark? And that's kind of how I look at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you leave, I believe if you like leave a place and the place instantly sucks, um, I believe that's a discredit 
to your leadership ability. Agreed. Yeah, in my opinion. All right, Steve, let's go back. Let's go back all the way to the beginning. Did you know that it was going to be the Navy for you, um, however many years ago it was before you joined? Yeah, so even as, as a kid, I, I always had something about wanting to serve, right? I always really respected the military. And as a kid that grew up in the 80s, like the Vietnam vets, like I really looked up to them and especially like the Army Green Berets. And I was like, oh, I want to do something special. I want to be tested. I want to go through hard training. I want to be part of a, an elite unit. And so I was committed kind of like to joining that path, joining the Army, being a Ranger, being a Green Beret, being, you know, SF. And then I also had an uncle who was a retired uh, naval aviator. And he kind of nudged me towards the Navy because, you know, for whatever reason, he was like a second dad to me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, you know, they got the Navy has special forces, too. They're called SEALs. And I think at some point he bought me like a book on SEALs in Vietnam. And I was like, yeah, as opposed to kind of joining the Army, you know, back then you had to kind of go through a career path before you could even be an SF guy. You had to already be a part of the Army for a few years but you can be a seal right off the street. And so I was like, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to go do that. And so by the time I was in high school, I was committed to that path. Probably okay. like by the time I was a sophomore in high school, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And was it preparation then? Like, were you like uh, physically preparing for it then? Yeah, probably more so like with like the year, like the final, like my senior year, I started getting a lot more serious about it. But back then, you know, there was no like there was no Internet. There was no there was limited information about how to prepare and how to train. And I'm like, I know I got to be comfortable in the water. I got to swim a lot and I got to run a shit ton and push ups and pull ups. And then, you know, the summer before I basically I graduated high school and then I was going to join the Navy that November, that fall. And so I trained my ass off. I ran, I swam, I, you know, I, I did calisthenics and weight training every single day. Um, and then the other thing is that I was so bad at math that I didn't qualify to, to, for the SEAL program. And I actually, yeah. so I, I was a dumbass for believing the recruiter <laughs> when he told me that they'd waive those few points on the ASVAB, you know, like the, it's like the SAT for the military, for those that might be listening aren't uh, military. And I, I show up in the military and the first thing I do, like, nope, you're not going to SEAL train. You're going to go work on submarines. And after I went to HTA school in Philly, they sent me up to work on submarines in Connecticut. And that was kind of the path until I was able to take the test and then get accepted a couple of years later to go to SEAL train. Okay. That's good. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So, yeah. so cause I was about to ask that. Cause I know back when you came in, they didn't have, they wouldn't, uh, SOs, right. You had to go in as uh, rated, right. So now do they, do they still go in as rated or they go in as a, as a, um, SF or SO? Yeah. Kind of, kind of how it goes. So, so for those, uh, who might not know like this, the, there's a rating and in the military or in the army and Marine Corps be an MOS in the Navy. It's a source rating. So that's kind of your job. That's your professional job in the military. And so when I came in the mil- in, in the Navy, there, there were certain rates that you could have to go to be a seal. Right. And so the one I picked was HT. I mean, I didn't know any better. I didn't care. I just want to be a seal. I didn't know mm-hmm. nothing about welding or pipe fitting or any of that stuff. Okay. And so I joined today. You join, like if you, if you want to be a Navy seal, you go to the recruiter and you just pick some arbitrary, arbitrary job. And it's really meaningless. It doesn't matter what you pick mm-hmm. because if you fail out of seal training, you got to get reclassified in a different rate anyway. So but you t- pick some arbitrary rate, and then if you qualify, they'll send you to boot camp as an enlisted guy to boot camp with a contract 
to be SEAL diver or rescue swimmer, any of those kind of uh, dive motivators type uh, cult warrior challenge candidates. And then if you, you pass a screening test, now for SEALs, you go out to California to do an eight-week prep course before you start your uh, basic orientation and then budge training itself, first phase of SEAL training. Okay. So we talked about this before, but it's actually good to have you on here to, to bring this up. How, how does it feel in that period of time where you know you joined the Navy for like one thing and one thing on, well, you know, you joined the Navy to be a part of special forces and then you find out that you can't, or you got this period of time that you're waiting during that period. Of t- how long was that period of time? You said about two years. Yeah. So, uh, when I showed up and I'm like, Oh, how do I get out of here? How do I? And they're like, <laughs> we're not even going to talk to you about going anywhere for two years. Thankfully yeah. I was smart enough that like, and I didn't, I was, I'm not a really good work with your hands guy. I'm not like suited to be an HT. So I was kind of towards the bottom, like just below probably the middle to bottom of my, my HT class. And cause there's people there that had already been like welders in the civilian world. And I was kind of like, <laughs> and so I, you know, I went through that and, but I was smart enough to be like, you know, I still want this. I want to go to a shore facility where the, it's only two years before I rotate out and mm-hmm. I can run, I can swim. I know I'm not going to be on some ship in the middle of the ocean, not be able to train. And so that worked out for me because initially I was really obviously disappointed and disgruntled yeah. and like, damn, this sucks. But there was a guy there who was a former seal. He was in Navy, but he kind of like his, had gone through a divorce and his kids moved to new England. And so he basically left the seal teams was a photographer's mate was attached to the, um, the command up in Groton, Connecticut, the sub base there. And he took it upon himself to kind of train a lot of, a couple of guys like me that wanted to be seals. And so I really think that it all happened the, the way it needed to happen for me to be successful. I got, I got faster. I got stronger. I got some mentoring. So it really, I, I and I don't think I was mature enough probably to be successful mature enough to be successful right right out of high school i think i needed a little more seasoning and those two years did that so i think it was good yeah because we get a lot of sailors who come to the ship they were buds drops or something happened right and that's the terminology we go by right damn it's buds drop right normally that's what we say yeah yeah or something happened and a lot of times you know their mission is hey i'm i'm going back you know i'm going back and based off of experience I can't say I've seen over 10% of them actually go back, you know, based off my time and experience. Some of some of the guys, you know, they went through some mental health issues. We had some guys have uh, suicidal ideations, just uh, some guys just depressed that, you know, they, hey, I got to be an electrician. Like, you know, that's my rate. Like, I got to be an electrician over here with chief, you know, and it's like, you know, I never really you know, know what to say. It's like you join for this one specific thing and it it can't happen, you know, and it's always a, a lot of these guys that, you know, they worked out well and they left after, you know, the first term, but always wonder like what, like exactly what's going on in the seller's head. And like, you know, that's just, and and that's different, right? I mean, that's different than, you know, I think for me, I never even got a shot. So again, it was easier for me to get that first shot. And I think, anymore. I think it's more difficult for a budge drop to get back because a lot of times it goes with like year group. And I don't know how all of that works, but I know it's really, really difficult. And I, and so I know it's difficult for them to do that. 
you know, and that's the difference between the army. It's like, Hey, I fail out of being a green beret. I can still like do infantry commando stuff. I can do other stuff. I can go to jump school. I can do fun stuff. That's kind of in that lane. Whereas in the Navy, it's like, it's, it's either commando shit or nothing like it. Right. Yeah. And so people are like, you know, I did all this and now I'm chipping paint. And so it requires like a really, a really effective, a compassionate, but firm and effective leader to kind of lead those people and, and, and to really get them to say, Hey, I, I know this is not where you want to be, but here's what you can get out of your experience right mm-hmm. now. Here's how, you know, if they can see past the bitterness, if you can get through to that person, to that service member, you can get them to understand that what they're doing right now can be of big value to their overall, you know, trajectory in their life. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I tell you, I tell you, listening to you, you you took that well. I know you was in the right place at the right time. And I know uh, from my experience, I had a sailor to come to me and he didn't he didn't um, get to go to to be a SEAL. Right. His whole family is SEALs. Right. But he wanted to leave to go come into the Navy. And I guess the recruiters was telling him that, hey, you come in when you get a rate, then you can go off and become you know, a seal, but they didn't tell him about the two years that you got the weight and all this type of stuff. So he gets to the ship and the first thing he gets there and he started talking about, Hey, I'm trying to, when can I leave to go, you know, the buds and stuff like this. And I'm like, man, you have to do two years. Mm -hmm. And I said, now me personally, I mean, he told me his background about his family and all that stuff. I say, man, I'm doing everything, you know, in my power to, to help you out give you time to train and, and all this type of stuff. And ended up, man, we pulled in one point and I ain't see him no more, man. He, he just, he just he, left, he, huh? He went, he, went, uh, he went to medical and I guess he got some type of fail to adapt. That's what he got. He got out the Navy on fail to adapt. But he said that that's all he wanted to do. You know, that's it. If he wasn't doing that, he wasn't doing anything else type yeah. stuff. So Yeah. And I, I can get, get that. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be totally honest. And, and I, again, don't take this as me bad mouth in the Navy. I just, it's not a fit for me. Like the job, like I'm sure there's a job out there that would have been a fit besides a seal, but I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. And so I would have never stayed in me personally. Right. Not because I'm too good mm-hmm. for the Navy. It, and that's not it at all. It's just not a fit for me. I think I'd be better served, you know, in, in a different branch to do that type of stuff. That's kind of more a fit for me. So I would tell people, you know, young people, it's like, don't, don't listen to the recruiter when they tell you, you kind of have to join. Like if you, if you don't get a contract to be a seal, then, then, then don't join. Go. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it were me, I, I, I'd say, go, go join the army, go get a ranger contract, go do that. If that, yeah. if you want to be a seal, yeah. then I would rather, I'd rather go be a ranger than I would a sailor doing something else because that is what is interesting in, to me. Right. Yeah. So yeah, two years, definitely. two years, two year wait, then you go to school. Um, you go to, and, and can you talk through um, that, the school process? Like I know it's a few schools and stuff like that. And I know we got some, some young sailors or uh, some young civilians that might be listening and interested in uh, being a SEAL. Um, what's the kind of like the checkpoints in that process? Yeah, I'll try to be as succinct as possible. It's, you know, there's been a lot of changes of, of what happens to you before it, it, once you are in that pipeline, meaning like you've got orders, you're going to go. It's a lot different now than it was like, so there's, mm-hmm. there's never was a prep school. Now the thing about the prep course is that what it does is it, it gives 
it gives more people an opportunity to be a SEAL, right? You have people that grew up in the inner city, maybe that didn't have an exposure to a pool. Well, now we can send them to prep and now they can learn how to swim. And now that puts them up there. So they actually have an opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what happens when you graduate buds, you know, is different than it was when I came in, but the, the, the core, the meat and potatoes of SEAL training is for the most part unchanged. And that starts off with once you get through what's called what they call it now is bow basic orientation. So you have the SWIC, the special warfare combatant craft crewmen and the buds candidates that go through the first initial several weeks. And that's just kind of an exposure. You're kind of turning the heat up on the candidate a little bit. And then when that's finished, SWIC, they do their, they, they, they go this way and the SEAL candidates, they start first phase of buds training. And that's when it's like, boom, the hammer falls. And I don't know what week it is now. They did change this piece. They moved up hell week sooner mm-hmm. in the process. I think it may even be three weeks in now, whereas opposed it was six weeks when I did it. Uh, and, and so hell week is the, is the big thing that everybody knows about, right? It's the, it's arguably the hardest week in any military training and, you know, exposure, you're, you're cold, wet, tired the whole week. Mm-hmm. Right. And it basically tests your commitment to the program and how well, that you're going to, how, how great of a team player you're going to be when shit gets hard, right? Are you are you willing to put the needs of your teammate, of your swim buddy, of your boat crew, of the mission above your own personal suffering, right? And if you can answer those two questions and you can gut it out, you make it through your, 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 your major milestone. Now, within first phase, there's also a lot of things that challenge people. There's what's called drown proofing, where you have to swim and do a couple of things with your arms and legs tied behind your back, right? There's life-saving where you got to, you got to rescue a, an instructor who's basically trying to drown you, um, <laughs> underwater swims, things like that. Uh-huh. Once you finish first phase, then you move to second phase and that's where you have die phase. And in die phase, you face your second major obstacle with the evolution or test as we call it known as pull comp. A pull comp is kind of the, the culmination of a five day pull week where you learn basic scuba diving procedures and you get tested on it on a Friday, right? It's the instructor comes down, rips your mask off, rips your fins off, ties your, your air hoses in knots and you got to calmly with a breath hold, keep your shit together, problem solve. And, and that's pretty much the second major obstacle, right? You make it through that. You, you start to learn how ba- very, very basic stuff in combat diving with a rebreather where you just dive in oxygen, very basic combat diving skills. And then you get to third phase and third phase, that's where you do land warfare and underwater demolition. You go out to uh, for the first part, you do land, land navigation in the mountains outside of San Diego and Laguna Forest there. And then you uh, go out to San Clemente Island. It's one of the Channel Islands. And you go out there for, you know, another like uh, eight weeks of training, I think, where you're just doing land warfare, patrolling, small arms, weapons, all that kind of stuff. And when you're finished that, you graduate buds. Back in the day, we go to jump school, Army jump school in Fort Benning, Georgia. And then we mm-hmm. go to a SEAL team and then we go to do our follow on training before we even got a chance to be in a SEAL platoon. Now they knock all of that jump training, free fall parachute training, all that stuff in what's called SQT. They go up to Alaska, they do all that kind of stuff. And that bridges the gap between the very, very basics at BUDS and the more advanced skills you learn in a SEAL platoon training workup. And 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 when you're in BUDS, you're broken out in like uh, boat teams. Am I correct about that? Yeah, boat crews. Oh, boat crews. Anybody from your boat crew, are you are you still in contact with any other people that you went through with in your boat crew? Mm, no. Okay. No, and I then, mean, it, you know, we were for a while. Like, I would see a lot of guys in different teams, and I had great friends. And 
I, a lot of that honestly is on me. I, I'm really, it, it's a, it's a weakness on me. I'm not the best at maintaining relationships, right? I think if it weren't for my mm-hmm. wife, I wouldn't have any friends. <laughs> I just, but yeah. uh, no, it's um, yeah. I, I still maintain, there's a few people that I maintain contact with um, a small circle of guys, nobody that I happen to be in my boat crew. Now you got to take in mind, keep in mind, the boat crew is not like it changes all the time. As okay. guys drop out, they're constantly shuffling. Even in hell week, you the guys you start with, I think maybe like one guy, they do it by height, right? So, cause you got to carry, like they, they put everybody in a height line and then they break off people in a boat cruise because of that, right? There's one officer per boat crew. If you have enough officers like we did. Um, and then there's all constantly rotating and shuffling as people drop, as people get hurt. Yeah. And then in, in hindsight, right? Is this, was this all fun in hindsight? Uh, it's no picnic. No, I mean, there's good for sure. I mean, it's one of those where you're so glad to have the experience, but I mean, it's not a lot of fun. I mean, that's good when it really sucks, but I I look back and, you know, we have, I think as humans, we we tend to look favorably on a lot of things like, Oh, wasn't that bad. And, And for a lot of buds, Right. I mean, you're up early for PT at like four and they used to make a joke. If you had a DOR button on your alarm clock, you know, most people would never make it through SEAL training. <laughs> Even fewer, I should say, would make it through SEAL training. Um, but, you know, a lot of times you're done at like, you know, early on in training, at least you're done at like four o'clock. You know, you go to you go to the chow hall at five, five or whatever for dinner and then you're you're done. So you can kind of have your nights to do what you want. You just eat dinner and then you go out and get another dinner because you're so hungry. And then yeah. the weekends pretty much are yours too, to go out and just kind of relax and chill. Um, and if you're smart, you know, you, you don't party too hard, you recover. <laughs> Was the food good in Chow Hall? I mean, it's, I think it's probably a little bit better than it's better than what you're going to get on a ship. Ooh, yeah. I mean, it's like eating. I mean, I, you know, if I had to do over again, I would have eaten a lot better. I probably would have like you just get so hungry and then you're like, oh, oh I want to have that big bowl of ice cream. And then you got to go hold your breath underwater and you just like feel like crap. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. I mean, I was from the East Coast, small, kind of a smaller suburb outside of Philly. And so I go out there and it was like my first exposure to like real Mexican food, Starbucks, <laughs> stuff like that. So yeah. I'm like, I-, I was I was loving that aspect of it. You, yeah. can, you know, as a as a young frogman trainee, a tadpole, you, you can eat whatever the hell you want, right? You're not going to gain weight, right? I can't say that now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm from Philly too. And Tex-Mex is, yeah, I'm from Philly. I'm from where uh, Philly. I'm from, I lived in South Philly for the longest from when I was about seven until I pretty much joined the Navy before South Philly, it was uh, North Philly and West Philly. So, you know, born and raised in the place. Yeah, it's real. That's the real Philly right there. I was from, I'm from Delaware County. So the suburbs. Yeah. But, um, all we had was Tex-Mex. Like that was like, it was Tex-Mex. You know, it wasn't until I got to Cali to where I even really had like a real Mexican food, but quick question, any that, like any memories from that training period, like memories that you're able to discuss that, uh, really like stood out, um, for you? Yeah. I mean, it's a couple stories. People ask me, you know, a lot of times, what, what's the hardest part of SEAL training? And, and naturally people say, would expect me to say hell week, but really I had a, what I thought was a big class at the time, just under 200 people. And for me, the hardest part was the first week, like the first five days of first phase. That's because they're really trying to 
they're really they're beating the shit out of you because mm-hmm. they're because they're, they know there's a large portion of the class that doesn't really belong there. They're kind of like, hey, I'll give this Navy SEAL training thing an old college try, but they're yeah. not really bought in. And so it's like, well, let's get rid of those people. Let's get that low hanging fruit out of here. So they beat the shit out of you. And, you know, I, at one point I tell the story, I came back to my room at the end of, you know, at the end of the training day, you know, it was like four o'clock getting ready to go to chow. And I go back and all my roommates are stuffing. There's like five, the six of us to room. All my roommates are stuffing their shit in bags. I'm like, what's up, fellas? We moving? What's the deal? And they're like, yeah, we're done. And, and you know, and I was kind of like, and, and it was a defining moment for me. Cause right there, I'm like, you know, it's almost like it makes you feel stronger. And then when I went into hell week and people are, you know, one of the big things is they do what's called surf torture, right? Cause the Pacific ocean's always cold. And when you're constantly wet all week mm. in hell week, you just, they'll go sit you in the water. The water crashes over your face nonstop. And it kind of like a lot of people just can't take that. And the water's cold. And so they would stand you, they can keep you in the water for so long, depending on the water temperature, they pull you out and you're standing in a line and they have like the instructors with like medical staff, looking at your eyes and just kind of assessing how you are because you're all pretty much bordering on hypothermia. And, mm-hmm. and every time somebody would quit, you know, you're supposed to be like, no, 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 quit. We're going to keep the class together. <laughs> Every time they would quit. I don't, you ever see that movie from the, like 1986 called The Highlander? You know, where it's like they they chop heads, like immortals, yeah, yeah, they fight he, with swords. And he gets your power, and, right? He gets, gets his power. power. Yeah. So every time somebody would quit, I'd be like, fuck, I'm still here. I'm like, I got this. And it would just make me stronger. You know? Yeah. And to me, I, I never got to the point where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to quit. I had some confidence issues in terms of like, cause I always build up seal training as this mythical dragon. And so when it was like, pull comp, ah, I don't know if I can do that. Uh, hell week, uh, who gets through hell week of land, <laughs> land, land, nav. That sounds hard, right? It's like all this shit. And then I'm like, well, I, I just got through it. Right. And events, you know, and that was a big thing. I think to me, it was just having a lack of confidence. Um, yeah. and so doing all that stuff, it did give me, you know, a level of confidence, but I always stayed humble. I always like, I got to try to be better at everything. I, you know, and, and that's, that's what, you know, good operators do. They always try to say that what I'm doing now is not good enough. Can always be better without being yeah. too hard while, while still being able to forgive yourself like, for your mistakes. Yeah. So what year was it? Like what year was this? 95. Okay. 95. Yeah. I went through 95, graduated. Um, I, I was fortunate. I remember at one point it's like, Early on, you know, if you get hurt, you know, if you're a good dude and you get hurt, they'll put you in what's called PTRR. It's like physical training, uh, rest and recovery. And, you know, you'd see these guys, you'd be all like early, you'd be, you'd already done your workout and these guys are just getting out of bed. They're like, oh, it's like in the sunshine. You're like, God, I wish I was them right now. And then you graduate and they're behind you in the class because they had classed up behind you again after they recovered. And you're like, well, I ain't glad that I'm them now as I'm graduating. They're still yeah. here. My question for you is, um, I'm, I guess the first benchmark here would be 9-11 huh? um, for me to kind of go on and ask if you had any any experience. Like, what was the experience for you after 9-11? Yeah. So that was you 01, know, right? Yeah. And so before that, you know, my first my first deployment um, to Bosnia, Europe in 1998, did some stuff in Africa too. I'm just, I mean, by comparison, pre nine 11, you know, there was, uh, you know, our command did some reconnaissance missions, you know, uh, I did some shipboarding missions, uh, in the Gulf, 
uh, things like that. Um, but all very just kind of anything you can do to do something fucking real and not just training, right? It doesn't matter how silly, like, I just want to do something real. And so you're bored to shit for the first time. You're like, fuck yeah. Right. Um, in, in 2001, I was deployed in Europe. And I got hurt on a jump. We were doing a parachute jump and I tore my pec, separated my shoulder. And so I'm sitting there like in a, had gotten surgery and I'm back in Virginia beach when nine 11 happens. Um, and I had orders to go to a special missions unit, um, that I had to cancel because of my injuries. And I ended up going to a training command, teaching other people how to, you know, do assault training, close quarter combat. And then I finally got my first kind of, uh, combat deployment in 2004 when I went to uh, Iraq and okay. then did went to Afghanistan, went to Iraq a couple times and yeah. And then, you know, to Europe, back to Europe a couple times. So, yeah. Okay. Here's a, here's a, here's a fun question. I think, cause, uh, I watch a lot of movies, right? So are you the guy that if, if it's, let's say you're in a supermarket, right? And some shit jump off and some would be, you know, some would be robbers who, who just look super amateur. <laughs> Do you, are you, would you be the hero in that situation? I would like to think that I would do what was required for the best outcome. Okay. Right. And it's like, everybody wants to talk shit, right? You're with your family and somebody wants your wallet and maybe you're carrying. All right. You're, you can have my fucking wallet because there's no way I'm taking a chance that rounds are going to go off. and You're going to hit one of my kids. Yeah. Right. And my car doesn't mean that like, you can have it, right? It's not worth it, right? Now, if if somebody's life is on the line, then it's my obligation to try to do what I can to prevent that. In terms of robbery, I'm not going to be a hero that potentially risks, you know, somebody getting hurt for no reason for just money and shit. Um, but if it's like there's people trying to hurt people, then I got to do what I can. I mean, I was trained. It's still my obligation to try to do what I can to to end that threat. Yeah, because uh, I watch, you know, we watch, I watch a bunch of movies and the movies would be, you know, it's like, yeah, he was ex-Special Forces. Yeah. They fucked with the wrong person's sister. And then this dude just activate <laughs> and just go, you know, just go crazy. You know what I'm saying? So I'm always interested, you know, w- when it comes to like, when you know, when you have a certain, you know, like Liam Neeson said, I got his particular set of skills or whatever, like, like, how, like, what would be, how strenuous would it be to ha- actually get back to that natural kind of ability that you have? Well, it's, it's not easy, right? It's like if you're an athlete and then you don't fucking do any of that. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they want you to play in a college level game. And you're like, well, fuck, I, I can't, I can't shoot. I can't, I'm in out of shape. Right. It's like people don't like none of that shit. Like you're not going to go uh, ex Navy seal goes and is, <laughs> is, is working at the bank. And then all of a sudden some shit goes down and you're just going to be able to all of a sudden hadn't shot a gun in forever, hadn't done it. And I'm just going to no, like those, those things are perishable, right? It's like, mm-hmm. if you want to, if you want to make a shot that's difficult, like you got to fucking train, like you have to be on your gun. Um, yeah. you know, now are you going to be better than, than the average person? Of course you are, but like you, you have to really understand that you're, that you're, uh, that you're out of, shooting fitness will surely outstrip what capability that you used to have in your mind. If that makes sense. Right. It's like, no, you're not as good as you think you are. You're not as good as you used to be because you've been out of the game. Okay. Is, is promotion. So I've got a couple of questions about the community. Um, my first one, cause I want to get back to Oh four, but I feel like 
in order to get back to 04, I got to ask about promotion. Because by 04, what, what rank are you by 04? I was an E6. Okay, you're an E6. So, HT1. HT1. Had, had you ever welded at all? No, I, so I worked on, I, I did, I did some welding. I did some like, what do they call it? Where you I ship, didn't. not ship fitting, but you're putting up like little frameworks. I can't remember what it's called, but uh-huh. I worked in the pipe shop and I did, uh, so my welding, it's technically welding. I did silver brazing. Okay. So that that's welding, right. With the acetylene torch and, and filler. Right. And, uh, and then I did, I worked, did hydrostatic testing on these things called Rizix, um, rubber sound insulated isolation coupling, something like that. And they're like mufflers. So it helps muffle the sound of like high flowing, uh, you know, water systems on a submarine to keep it quiet. So I did that, that kind of stuff. So that was the extent of it. Okay. And is this stuff during your deployment? So is it just like, no, that was before I went to buds. Okay. So then then once I went to buds, I didn't, I didn't touch that stuff anymore <laughs> okay so you just hd1 but <laughs> which was no. good because i would have fucked it up <laughs> <laughs> okay so yeah you just keep your rate and that's a funny yeah. thing is you got to keep your to, to your to your kind of promotion question you know all the way from you know e4 up to to e7 right you, you're testing on the normal rate so i got to sit here and even though i'm not working in my rate at all i got to sit here and study all this ht shit Right. And, and it probably explains why I was an E5 for a really long time. Cause I just didn't give a fuck. It's like, I, I'm, I'm doing fun shit, E5, E6. And then you're kind of like, yeah. all right, at a certain point you're going to be a turd if you don't promote. So then I'm <laughs> like, all right, I guess I gotta, I gotta take this a little bit more seriously. It's time for me to make E6. So I, I kind of nailed that down. Um, and then I made E6 and then after that, I made E7, E8 first time up. And then there was a few years before it took me to make uh, E9. Okay. And where you always bought into the Navy concept. So I say that like, because it took me a while to buy into a lot. I was operating kind of for myself for a little bit, you know, working, just trying to do as, as good as I could do as well as I could do. Um, and then it started to be about my people. Right. So after it was about me, it was about my people. And then like, lastly, I finally started to really understand as far as the tradition and uh, the culture and really have a, a higher respect for what the Navy meant as an organization. If that makes any kind of sense. No, it makes um, total sense. It makes absolute sense. Right. And, and, you know, because, y- you know, your aperture opens as, as you get maturity and wisdom and experience. Right. You know, it's like people, you know, people come in the Navy and, and you know, I would tell this when I was, uh, when I would, was doing the warrior toughness program when I was teaching that, right. I was, we would teach it to the RDC, the prospective RDC, RDC, C school, you know, the people that are going to be, you know, the recruit division commanders, which were the drill instructors in the army uh, and Marine Corps. And so we'd be teaching them and I'd be trying to tell them like, look, not everybody comes into the Navy. People come into the Navy because they want money for school. They want money for co- They want money for college. They want money. They want uh, exit from a bad situation. Uh, they're not patriotic. They don't give a shit about the Navy. And that is okay right now. It is your job to, yeah. s- that's not going to happen overnight. It's your mm-hmm. job to start to plant those seeds, right? And so you're sitting around the chief's mess with a bunch of, uh, I'm sitting around with a bunch of master chiefs and none of them joined the Navy because they were fucking patriots, Yeah, but they became patriots because of how they were developed, right? And they became bought in to the Navy. Now for me, it's all about SEAL teams, right? 
the SEAL teams just happened to be part of the Navy. And so we really identified ourselves more with a special operations command. So most of my time in the military, you know, we would do a little stuff with the Navy when it came to like shipboarding stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. but most of the time we're working with the army and the air force, right? That's who we're working a little bit Marine Corps. Um, and so that's really where I identified, identified myself as a special operator in the special operations command. And so everything in terms of history and legacy and reputation, um, that's all bound to kind of naval special warfare, right? The SEAL teams, the frogmen from World War II, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So really it wasn't until, you know, you start making, you know, you start, even when you're a chief, right? In, in the SEAL teams, it's still all about that. And really, you know, I, it wasn't until I, you know, actually made master chief went up to boot camp, and that's when I really had to be part of like the actual Navy. That's when I started getting exposed to how the Navy really works, like big ranking boards and SOI, SOQ. We did that, but at a much smaller scale. Now you're yeah. talking about doing it for like a couple, you know, a thousand people, a couple thousand people, right? It's yeah. So it was an eye opener for me. Yeah. And this, this, uh, you talk about this great lakes, right? Just uh, like regular recruit training command. That's right. Yeah. So that was my path. Right. And we didn't really talk about that, but so I I was coming up on, I I just finished one of my final tactical milestones called troop chief, where you're basically a senior enlisted leader for, uh, two 18 man seal platoons at the time Mm -hmm. and you're platoon chief. And then you move up to that position where you're the chief of both platoons. Right. And so I had made it. They're like, Hey, you did that. You got ranked good enough. You should make master chief and you're going to have to move. And so I'm like, well, you know, my wife had a job, we were homesteaded, you know, and I'm like, all right, well, I'll let's, let's at least send me somewhere where I know I can be home every night and let my wife have some predictability. And so that was boot camp, Right. And I knew I was Mm going to get moved. I worked up die motivator kind of overseeing the program where people come in with contracts to be seals, diver, air rescue swimmer. And while I was doing that, I actually, uh, you know, I made master chief while I was up at boot camp, actually. And then I was asked to start up this warrior toughness program with a psychologist and a chaplain. And that's really what I spent my last final years. But while I was doing that as part of like the E9 mess, E9 mm-hmm. kind of mafia there, right? Really, really feeling how, like really learning how senior enlisted leaders help, help to run the command. Mm, okay. And I, I really do want to dig into warrior toughness a little, but before I yeah. get to warrior toughness, I want to go back to 04, right? I want to go back to 04 where things really, uh, you know, start getting active and, um, you start to see some action. Um, if that's the best way to say it, um, w- any major experiences there, um, that you remember that you are willing to share? Yeah. Um, and so I kind of joined late. I was actually at a training command and I was like, it's kind of, I had done a good job there according to my leadership and they're like, and and their bonus, like they're, they're like my, my reward was getting to go downrange into combat. Right. And so I jumped into Mm -hmm. a, um, they were short a communicator, you know, a radio guy. And so I wasn't a radio guy, but I was a sniper. And so we get a lot of com like communications training. And so I went downrange to kind of backfill that guy who was home uh, uh, on like paternity leave, you know? And so while we were over there, the guys had gone from like doing assaults to now we were tasked with providing the mobile security details. Almost like if you, if you look at like what the secret service does for the president, well, we were Mm -hmm. tasked with doing that for 
the the brand new Iraqi government, right? We've gotten rid of Saddam Hussein, all that kind of stuff. And now we're trying to stand up a well-represented Iraqi government. And so we had, uh, my troop had the uh, deputy prime minister of Iraq. And so that was a lot of my job. But every day we were taking rockets, we were taking mortar from the red zone. We were in the green zone, which is kind of like the contained area where it's kind of like it's safe, right? And that's where the government is. And so, but we're taking mortars, we're taking rockets. And so they're like, Hey, let's put, let's, let's get some snipers and, and comms guys. Let's get it. Let's get some sniper elements out there and, and start trying to, you know, take out these guys that are launching mortars and stuff like that. And so that was really where I got my, uh, my first taste of combat going on these, going out on these sniper operations. And sometimes we're hanging it out there and they know we're there and they start, you know, they start, you know, coordinated attacks on our positions. Mm -hmm. And that was really, you know, my first combat experience taking heavy fire pinned down. we got army guys there on the rooftop with us kind of providing extra security for us. And, you know, and then somehow the enemy getting close enough, throwing grenades at us kind of going off right next to me. Um, lucky that I didn't get killed or fucked up. Um, that was really my, my main, my first exposure to it. Yeah. Now, while all this is happening, are you thinking about eval bullets? No, no, we're not, not thinking about eval bullets, right? You're thinking about, you, you know, you want to, you, I mean, it's a lot of things going on, right? It's a lot of like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm getting tested. I need to make sure that I pass the test uh, of doing the right thing, of able to maintain my composure when shit goes sideways, being able to perform, being able to make sure that, you know, I'm seen as somebody that can stand up and do the job when things go sideways. And then, you know, that's what you're focused on. And you're like, all right, I survived that one. Now I want to get out there and do it again as soon as I can. Right. Um, and and that depends, right. It depends, you know, my exposure is, and and I'm very candid with this, like my combat experience, I enjoyed my combat time, but it's easy for me to say that because like, while I saw some really horrible shit, what I didn't see were my friends getting killed in front of me. And a lot of my friends can't say that. And so I'm very yeah. careful to to really differentiate those two experiences, right? Because I don't have to deal with that. And I know a lot of my friends do. And so I'm sensitive yeah. to that also. So so I, I asked that question as a joke, but I also asked that question because in you know, in our community, the evals are almost like a driver for like a seller, like performance and things, things like would you agree, Damon? Yes, most definitely. Yeah, like eval, like that's everything. Yeah, like my eval, my eval, my eval, and I'm always assuming that you know, in the SIL community and uh, special warfare community, it's not like that. Eval is doesn't hold as much weight as it does to like you know our guys. It does when you no, you're right. You're right in what you're saying. A lot of times, because it kind of goes like this. It's like you have to a for you like it. For you to make like E, you typically an E five, pretty much in your first platoon. But mm-hmm. for you to make E six, it's like do it like you're just going to make E six, pretty much. If you can pass the test, um, and it's again for me, it was just got to test it. I got to pass the HT. I don't have to. All I got to do is pass the thing, right? I don't yeah. have to score and that's, high and that's enough. Hard enough, right? And that's like hard enough, it, right? It's hard enough, right? If you're not, a, if you're not an HT, <laughs> but. Those yeah, easy ranks. It, yeah. Now, when it comes time to make chief, now it gets more competitive, right? And so mm-hmm. basically you're ranked. And so it's almost like you get ranked 
And then you write the eval based on how you get ranked, right? So mm. it's like it doesn't you just write mm. the, the the shit that's supposed to go that supports and justifies the rank that you've gotten, if that makes sense, right? So it's like, it hey, you're a good operator. Sense, What's that? I was gonna say it makes a little to me, it makes more sense than how we do it. To a point, right? Yeah, but you also sense. you gotta think we're very like our wickets are pretty clear, right? I mean, I know it's the same. It is the same for a lot, for a lot of you, but so, but there are certain special jobs that we can do that aren't going to be the best for our promotion, right? Because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it, it, you got to have if you have a strategically vital job where you're not necessarily, it's not something that you can maybe be very clear on an eval about. It's about it's about what do you manage, equipment, budgets. Who are you leading? Who are you developing? Right. As you start getting up there for chief and you know, you've got to be able to do that. And, and even for us, as you start to get up there and ranking 78, E9, it's, you better, you got to have, you have to have, once you get up from, for, for master chief, you, you have to have like a good track record of successfully completing some very specific milestones. Like I would not make master chief unless I did some crazy shit. I would not make master chief unless I was a troop chief, right? I was a senior enlisted leader for a, a seal okay. troop or equivalent element. Maybe it's like a joint, yeah. something like that. Like I, it's gotta be, but even that it's gotta be very, like you gotta hit those wickets. And then it's like, all right, well within that, how did you get ranked? Because if you didn't, if you, if you were a bottom, if you're kind of a turd, even though you successfully did it, I don't, maybe it's not the right word turd, but if let's say you, you didn't do as well as your peers, you're not going to get promoted. You're not going to make, like not everybody's going to make master chief. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Okay. Yeah. That, I mean that, that whole ranking first Damon before, um, writing the eval. I, I like that. You know? Yeah. I mean, then you write it towards the ranking now, I like that part too. Yeah. You, know, you write it towards the rankings. That's, you know, yeah. I, I'll, I'll say this, you know, I was, what made me very proud uh, of our Navy at least from my limited now granted limited perspective is like, I'm sitting there and I think at any one point, like there was probably seven, eight master chiefs at recruit training command, a pretty much you've got females, you've got probably four different races, ethnicities and I couldn't think of how it could be done any more professionally or fair, right? In terms of gender, in terms of whatever that is, it was like you had everybody. I really felt like it was very merit-based, you know, and mm -hmm. obviously things are difficult, right? You have challenges. Okay. Somebody went on like maternity leave. All right. What, what's the right thing to do there? Because they weren't doing their job, but at the same time, you can't punish them. And so you've got to like, it's very thoughtful and, and I was proud that like I could see that it was done as fairly as possible to make sure the right people got promoted. Yeah. Yeah. Bro, you brought up something just then, man. That's one of the hardest things right there, man. When somebody's doing something, you know, for themselves or for pregnancy or whatever the case may be, they doing that. But how are you going to rank them? You know what I mean? That's hard. They haven't been, like you said, they haven't been doing their job uh -huh. at all, yeah. right? But but my mission is to get, you know, inspections and do this stuff, but they haven't been doing it. Man, that, was, that is so freaking hard to justify because you got these sailors that's doing their job and doing it at a high level, but still you can't say, 
this sailor this sailor would have been doing the same thing. Well, yeah, like you know, yeah. if you know, well, yeah, you don't even have the bullets on it. And what's more difficult, like at a SEAL team, you have the SEAL operators, right? The people that go out. And then when we deploy, we will get attachments, right? We'll get people like your uh, your electronics warfare folks and your EOD techs that kind of enable us, meaning they're the tactical enablers. They actually go out on target with us. But then you have the support tech, the support techs, right? All your, your engineering folks that do your boats, your motors, your vehicles, your ad- admin, right? And so they're kind of ranked like separately almost, right? You have your operators and you have your support techs. And it's almost like it was kind of analogous to that when you go to like recruit training command where the red ropes, like the ones that are actually the recruit division commanders are fucking busting their ass, right? And they're like the SEAL operators going, doing the hard shit. And then you have the other folks who are doing a great job, but they're not putting in the hours. And then that becomes very difficult with how you rank those people. Right. So you can be badass at your job, but you're not putting in quite those hours because those recruit division commanders work really hard. And it's a tough job yeah. if you've if you've ever done it. But uh yeah, so how do you rank those people? So it's difficult, it's thoughtful. You gotta have you gotta really have your ducks in a row to make sure it's as fair as possible. Because yeah. you have to still have your your other people, your your uh, and uh, uh, the support people at recruit training. I can't remember what the, the term we used was, but you gotta give them a shot to be competitive ranking wise as well. Mm-hmm. So warrior toughness. I think, I think for me, Oh, go, go, no, go ahead. Cause I'm about to change the whole damn topic. Yeah. So okay. Okay. I, had, I got, yeah, I had one thing, man, that, that to me, that was kind of, kind of difficult, man. Um, especially when it comes to ranking and, and, and things like that. Um, how do you like, you, you get in there you ranking a lot of a lot of sailors, right? When at that point somebody gonna say, hey, it's not about my sailor, right? That's the levels of things. I know when you at you when you at a, a CN chief, you had a, a chief at a mass chief level, especially when I was a chief. It's all about, hey, I was telling you, I'm going in there, it's all about my DC one, what I'm trying to get him at and what I'm trying to get him at. But when you talk about at a recruit, RDC, well, you got man, it's a lot of freaking sailors up there. A lot of sailors. And, and and what I really wanted to say here was, if you ain't got a good person briefing that sailor, right? <laughs> it, was that ever a problem for you guys? If you from, from a briefing standpoint, because everybody ain't, ain't, ain't great briefers, right? We can, but you have to step there in front of people and talk about your sailor. If you're not good, do that hurt your sailor? Yeah, it definitely can. And, and I, I like what you said, right? It's about you, like a dog with a bone almost, right? It's like you're like a politician who's got to bring that bacon home to his home state, right? Or, um, yeah. And you're like, all right, well, at a certain point, you hope maturity and integrity kicks in where, you know, it becomes really hard. And I've seen it. It's like people just won't let it go. I'm like, dude, your guy is not as good as that guy. <laughs> Fucking give it up, right? Let it go. Yeah. And, and and people yeah. with integrity, especially as you climb more senior rank, you, you know, you'd like to see people like, yeah, you know what? Um, especially somewhere at boot camp, right? It's it's never one person. It's like, yeah, somebody might go in and brief, but there's always a whole, like, especially when you're doing like, let's say, when, when you're doing like the E7 rankings, you've got a whole room full of E8s. And it's not just like one person may be briefing it, but there's a whole room full of people that also will. Yeah. And you get the tribalism too, but you have enough people in there to be like, yeah, I saw this. That'll speak up on that person's behalf. Um, And then the master chiefs, like everybody knows, right. 
if that person's a performer. Now, it can get into a dogfight between those number ones. It can get into the dogfight as you're getting from those MPs to those Ps, right? But, you know, for the most part, it, for the most part, it, it works itself out. Yeah, I try my best to play bully ball when I'm in there. I would choose a different tactic if it was a Navy SEAL in the room. I had to think twice about my bully approach. No, um, actually, <laughs> actually, uh, actually, uh, me, I'm super, I'm super like, I want to list everything out, write everything down, Excel. So I, I actually like to come heavily prepared for that, you know, piece. And I'm also that weird uh, I'm gonna raise my hand on this one sailor thing. Like I am that too. Sometimes like, you know, everybody, Oh, we cool. Yeah. He number seven. You know, if he was at the rank of, all right, we cool. He number seven. Hold up. <laughs> Hold up. We just said, <laughs> we just said this person had a chance to be number six. So now yeah. how are we, and then it's, you know, here we go. Another 30 yeah. domino effect. Yeah. yeah domino. Well, at a certain point, you want justice too, right? You want yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you want to make sure, right? It's like, no, you yeah. like, if you really feel strongly, it's like, yeah. and, and hopefully, you know, you set the table effectively by, by, by writing out on the whiteboard, what weight yep. you give all these things. And like, at least a recruit training command, I keep going back to recruit training command. Cause that's like, that was like as Navy as Navy guests, right? And, and mm-hmm. you know, it's from based on my my exposure to the Navy, right? And it's it's like you know, like uh, master training specialist. You know all these different uh, watch positions, right? Based on where you are, like if you're on push or you're taking a a hold job, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're kind of you know between your next picking up your next division, you know, what are you doing? Are you completely sitting back with your feet up, or are you doing something? Are you getting your master training specialist? Like so, you know. How effectively? So you basically look at somebody and you're like, uh, "He doesn't have this or this. She doesn't have that." P, right? Because they just they simply don't have what they need to be competitive. So you easily shuffle those people down. Yeah, yeah. So, so if you take yeah, the time yeah, to write everything yeah. out and weight everything, and then you just you can get you get a lot of things just knocked easy, right yeah. out, and then you're going. Then it's down to like those two three people. Now, see, I came off, we came off ships. So when I came on the ship off of DDG, it's kind of more easy. We kind of know everybody. We know who's the rock stars. We know everything. But I was just thinking still about RTC on, on how DDG, fucking. Though, still we still fighting. Yeah, we, no be, we still fighting. But a lot of times you fight just to, a lot of times you fight just to fight. Yeah. Like I, sometimes I be, no, yeah, that's Sailor probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I hear but, you. I, yeah, you, know, you see but that. But at RTC, at RTC, man, it's like a lot of people coming from a lot of different places and, Stuff like that, I can see that. Yeah, crazy. and the jobs kind of in line. Some of the jobs are in line with each other. But I do, I do want to go to uh, Warrior Toughness because I, because my question yes. is, when you went over to Great Lakes, you went over knowing that you were going to be involved in this program already. No, and so basically, what happened? I came on to do um, the Dive Motivator program, and so it was essentially a, I was there, going to be there for. I mean, I think it was a, a three-year billet and I had like four years left in the military. So I'm like, I'll just, mm-hmm. I think that's right. I think I'm speaking truth right there. Uh, and so I was there and I was probably, mid, I was probably a year two and the chief of naval personnel goes through this whole review. So you had some shit going out on in the fleet, right? Some missiles being fired at ships, right? Some all the while set against the backdrop of like, hey, no shit. Like our senior leaders, right? We're like, we may be, facing open naval seas combat, the likes in which we never have seen since World War II, right? Our peers, near-peer competitors, the Russians, the Chinese, whomever that might be, we got to fucking level it up, right? And right now our sailors aren't there, right? Because, you know, when I came in the Navy, right, maybe it's the same for you, right? It's like, 
join the Navy because joining the army is stupid. Like you don't need to go out there and like get dirty, like living in, living in mud. Right. We can be on a ship and we're going to be smart, right? We're going to be technical war fighters. Well, that's fine until shit goes sideways and you got to pull burning bodies out of a fucking after two ships collided or whatever. And so we didn't have sailors necessarily enough sailors that had that kind of warrior mindset. And so they basically mm-hmm. said, you know, the Adm- like uh, Admiral Richardson came out with his, his design for maritime superiority and he released his kind of his four core attributes, one of them being toughness. And I'm the guy, I'm the dumbass who's in an all hands call with the CNO. And, and, and I'm like, <laughs> Sir, well, okay, we're talking about toughness. Well, how the hell do you measure that? What is it specifically? And how do you measure it? Who knew my dumbass would be figuring out those two questions on, like, <laughs> like within six months later, right? I'm I'm helping to create a program with a chaplain and a clinical psychologist based on mind, body, soul, and how we're gonna start at boot camp to develop a proven program to get our sailors tougher. Though I remember when this first came out, that's how I was. That's how I was saying too, bro. Warrior toughness with a with a psychologist, uh, a chaplain, and a Navy SEAL. That's kind of how they sold it too, man. With a Navy SEAL. Yeah, I was that and, man. And, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and you're the guy, huh? Okay, so yeah, how and the reason it? for yeah. that, the reason for that is because you have two kind of resonant, right? You look at like what our lanes were supposed to be initially. Initially, it was like, hey, the SEAL is all about physical training. So the body piece, right? Uh, the mind, mm-hmm. it's going to be about the psychologist, right? How do we get in there? Performance psychology, sports psychology, mindfulness training. And then the chaplain's going to be all things related to character, right? Not only do we need people that are fully committed because of their character and their investment, but they also have to be people that can make good, like, uh, good moral and ethical decisions, right? As we kind of went through it, really, you have people, it's like, well, who's going to listen to a chaplain, right? You got some E5 sailors, some hardcore sailors. Who's going to listen to a chaplain? Who's going to listen to some psychologist? We need somebody yeah. who's kind of been in combat, that's trained people to be in combat that could kind of represent the program. And that's kind of why I got picked. Uh huh. And um, so when we, when this topic first came across our desk, uh, like we had it on our notes to talk about on a podcast and then we pushed it and then we pushed it and then we pushed it and then it wasn't on our notes anymore. Right. And I'm actually a little happy that, cause what, what were we going to do? Well, we were going to read through a nav admin and most likely read through the fact sheet and talk about it as we kind of um, uh, perceived it. So I'm, I'm actually happy. It's a blessing in disguise that we actually have you here uh, for those uh, questions. My, my first question is when you were initially, when it was initially brought up to you, did you buy into the idea of warrior toughness? I did. You know, okay. here's, here's why. Because now, did I buy into all facets of it? No. Were there some friction points between me and, and like some of the chaplains? Yes. Um, yeah, sure. But in the SEAL teams, it's all about like the one thing we are is we are always we're competitive. We are hungry to, we're constantly looking to level up our skills, our abilities and, and what we're capable of. And so we always go to the experts. So it's like, Hey, we're going to do some stuff in the mountains. Let's hire some of the best uh, mm-hmm. mountaineers in the world. Civilians are going to teach us how to do that. We want to be yeah. better at shooting. We're not going to learn from other seals. We're going to learn from professional competitive shooters. They're going to teach us. That's going to make us as good as we can be. 
And so for when it comes to like, you're going to teach me some mental skills because I knew that mental skills helped me like in, in difficult situations in this, in the SEAL teams. Right. But I didn't necessarily know enough to really apply them. And so I looked at it like, this is a great way people need to be able to really maintain composure. Because when you hear some of the stories about what happens when some of these ships collided, you have sailors that just were combat ineffective because they just lost their shit. They melted down. They could not. And you see this a lot now. Like you've had like a, a lot, like the young, a lot of younger generation, they feel more anxiety. They've never been allowed to fail. And so when they're faced with something like that catastrophic, they don't know how to react. They, they react, but they don't necessarily know how to respond. And so that was really critical. It's like, hey, we're always in the SEAL teams looking for an edge, and so should you. Because one day, you may, your, you know, your shipmates, they may need you to fucking pull them out, right? Are you, what are mm-hmm. you going to, what sailor's going to show up that day? The combat effective one or the one that's going to help fight back and, and, and save that ship, right? I, I think mm-hmm. it's like that. Did you, did you have to fight for anything? Like, let's say you had an idea. Um, you wanted to incorporate something into the program. Did you ever have to fight to make sure something like, for instance, like if somebody came up to me and they wanted to, you know, they wanted me involved in something, it was a group project, you know, let's say I'm making a cake, for instance, let's, let's say it's a cake. And I'm like, Hey, I don't give a fuck what we do. We going to keep the cookie crumbles on this cake, no matter how much we change it, no matter what we do, the cookie crumbles are staying on this damn cake. Was it ever anything that you had to make sure, hey, if I'm involved in this, for the sanctity of what we're we're calling this thing, this has to stay? You know, not really. And I'll be honest, like I, I, I created, I had certain contributions, but I would say like, to be completely honest, like the the chaplain, but especially the psychologist and mm-hmm. some of the other psychologists, but primarily the main psychologist that I worked with, she did a shit ton of heavy lifting to get this program. And I would say of the three of us, like she probably was the most important in terms of what was being delivered content wise. I think the fight is always when you're talking about some shit like this. And, and I would guarantee that you have people within your commands, you talk weird toughness that they're going to be naysayers, right? Because, yeah. uh, because of how it's, how it's being sold. And really what I did was I helped demonstrate a proof of concept, right? We mm-hmm. ran our program at boot camp through study control groups. We proved that it was effective, but like the Delta remains, how do you actually get that and move it on to a schools and then ultimately the fleet. And so the thing that I started my vision for where that would go would look quite a bit different, right? Yeah. In terms of how we train, like everything that we should do should be training for high stress situations for, for eliciting a certain response when it comes to performing under pressure and in the face of fear. And so I think buy-in is always, especially when you look at pushing it out to other commands, like people feel threatened by programs that, you know, that, that they could see us taking away their power. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not how I fucking did it in the nineties. So I, I, I don't, I'm going to resist it at every turn. Right. Yeah. So you, it's a lot of that. So and how, how were y'all able to observe, uh, like this program as you were doing, I, I'm going to say like beta tests, right. For lack of a better word, like beta tests. I mean, you could give me a better word if you have one, but how were, uh, you all able to observe the progress and if this was working. Right. So first thing we did was we basically did a couple of what we call feasibility pilots. 
And so what that was is that is we're not collecting data in terms of process improvement. We're collecting data with how we integrate this training, right? So you're going to have a study and control group, right? You're going to have, so for example, if we're doing um, what we call guided mindfulness exercise, let's say it's at nighttime, you're going to give people a certain exercise where they're going to go through there. They're going to start off with the breathing exercise. You're going to have them use imagery to visualize certain things to get them. And because it's all helping to, to really sharpen your frontal cortex. It's really mm-hmm. helping. It's basically like your body building for your brain. You're strengthening your brain. And so we would do that. And so we're going to do that. And that whole thing's going to take 10 minutes. Okay. Well, the, the division across the compartment, across the other side of the ship, they're in the control group. And so they're going to be doing uh, that exercise says 15 minutes. Okay. We're going to have them sit quietly for 15 minutes. Okay. Now when we go to the pool, we're going to use a certain mental skill. We're going to use mental rehearsal to visualize, you know, and especially if you're scared of the water, right? If you've never swam, then this is yeah. really, really effective. Um, somebody who's, you know, super comfortable in the water, but again, it's just an opportunity, uh, line handling, things like that, where people are yelling at you, that's a different mental skill exercise, right? And so you would do that. The next division comes in and you just do something that's kind of randomized. Uh, like it's not that mental skill, but it's doing something somewhat similar. So you can kind of compare apples to apples, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And then after that, then you actually start to measure things, right? You start to measure inspection scores, right? When, you know, you remember boot camp, like you have to not only fold your clothes, but you have like the, the, the drill instructor, right. will come in and yell at you, your general orders and all that stuff. Right. And you're graded individually, but also as division, right. Your PT scores, your entrance PT scores, your exit PT scores, all those little things are measured. What was interesting was you know, if you remember boot camp, people just want to break, right? People want to take a knee. So a lot of people are sick or hurt, right? They go to medical. And so what happens is you don't have as many people. Let's say you start off a division of, I don't know, 200 people. And, you know, typically maybe of that division, maybe 130 graduate on time. They may roll back to another division. But what yeah. we found was those that got, you know, uh, warrior toughness, we had less people trying to find comfort, right? We had, so our on-time graduation rates now, instead of 130 are probably like 180 or something like that. So you're getting more people to the fleet faster and you're saving the government money and you're, you're, you know, you're providing relief of sailors, butts and seats where they need to be. Okay. So it's like people, I was just going to say, it's like people not putting their packs down because they've learned some exercises on how to be resilient. That's right. Yeah. And so I think it's useful for me to define kind of what toughness was. We had to kind of define it, right? What's toughness? Because people be like, is this what's toughness versus resilience? And so we define it in three areas. The first one is take a punch and keep on going. And this has both a tactical definition as well as like an overall life definition. Example, right? Take a punch, keep on going, right? That's you on a ship, missiles just inbound, friends are killed, friends are wounded, you're hurt, got to get back up, you got to get back in a fight, right? Take a punch, keep going. Okay. Let's say you just suffered a loss in a relationship. Uh, girlfriend, boyfriend broke up with you. You didn't get that promotion, right? That's a punch. You've got to take that hit and you've got to respond to it. You've got to get back in the fight, right? You've got to keep moving forward. Um, you've got to perform under pressure. So think about it like, you know, whatever it is that stresses you out in the job, like you've got to get up there and you got to, if it's combat, right? Bullets are flying. You got to deal with that. You've also got to deal with it like in boot camp, right? When you've got to deal with like, I'm super stressed and now I got to go home. I got to walk through the front door of my house where mm-hmm. my spouse is stressed. 
my kids are screaming and I got to effectively lead there too. I can't be a shit show in my house. I got to lead there. And then three, you got to deal with day in day out grind, right? And you look at that twofold, right? In special operations, right? The height of our combat in Iraq and Afghanistan, especially in Iraq, you may be going out two, three hits a night, right? It's constant, right? And after six months, you are mentally and physically spent, mm. right? The opposite side of that coin is, right? You're, you're on, on a ship somewhere and you're watching a radar screen. And 99.9% of the time, nothing happens. Yeah. But when it does, people die, right? If you're not locked on, if you're not switched on. So you have to be just as engaged at the end of that six-month deployment. And so really, that's it's getting about those things, that element of toughness. Because resilience, like you remember operational, like OSC operational stress control, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about going from red back to green. Well, my point is, I don't give a shit if you can bounce back to where you were after you've dealt with a hardship. None of that means fuck all. If you couldn't perform in the first place, I need to train you to perform in the first place. And then I want you to be able to bounce back to that same high level perform. Mm-hmm. Hey, so my, my question is um, the training for boot camp. When did that take place? Like you guys just went in and in, well, you guys added a week or two of- to bootcamp. No, we just, it, it, we really, it, I don't think we didn't really add much. We just, uh, we kind of refined it. We tweaked. That's what we did. The feasibility pilots to make sure that we could smoothly mm. inject that into our training. Right. And you, and I don't remember exactly like I wasn't in, I, I didn't really have that task mm-hmm. for the actual, like okay. the schedule yeah, yeah. flexing of that, but it really didn't add much time. We took, maybe we streamlined a few things, but you're talking like exercises before certain events, right? And it's like, we're teaching this class, right? And it's it's an introduction, right? Uh, it's like boot camp. It's like going to BUDS, right? Like, I learned how to do combat diving in BUDS. I'm not capable of going out and doing a real-world ship attack now in enemy harbor. No, yeah. I need to, to keep going. And that's the, that's the challenge, right? Is how do we take that very basic warrior toughness and grow it and export it and expand it, right? So... In terms of the schedule, like it's nighttime exercises or whenever it's like on the spot. And also like the, one of the key signature things that we had is recalibrate, right? You think about this recruit or anybody in training, like in the example I always use is firefighting. You ever recruit first time away from home. The parents maybe never made them do anything hard. They're, they're stressed out. They miss home. They haven't been sleeping and that the instructor's yelling at them and they get overwhelmed. And they just fucking lock up, right? You've seen that, that look of overwhelm, combat ineffectiveness, loss, training value loss. We tell that recruit to recalibrate on the spot. Now they've already been trained how to do this. When we tell them to recalibrate, they remember, okay, I'm going to lower my energy by doing some very specific slow breathing exercises. And once I've calmed down a little bit, we're going to tell them what their kind of objectives are. And we're going to push them back into the fire. And so we teach them that constantly telling them how to recalibrate so that they can learn how to cope with stress on the fly. Cause next time they have that feeling it may be for real and we got to get them to be able mm. to navigate through that stress. Okay. So it's, I mean, and based off of what my definition of being great is to kind of bring that conversation back a little full circle, it's uh, some of those intangibles for me about being great. Like, uh, those, the Kobe Bryant still playing on a bad, you know, foot or the Michael Jordan still playing while sick. I mean, those are some of the things for me that define being great. So it's not about, stepping out of the game. It's about being able to play through the pain and through, you know, through some of the stress, the stuff that you're capable of being able to play through. 
right? Because I don't, I don't, everybody can't play through every pain, right? You can't just lose your foot and still try to run two and a half miles. You, you don't have a damn foot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So that's, I mean, that to me has like, for me, um, and I'm not sure if we hit every wicket, but it gives me a much better kind of ideology about what warrior toughness is than the uh, fact sheets and some of the like literature yeah. that I, uh, you know, I read. I'm better. I'm better in communication anyway than reading. You know, who literature. wants to read that shit? Right. And I'm the same way. I mean, it's it's hard. Nav like nav admins. It's like if you want to fucking get somebody to absorb information, why are you going to put it in that format? Right. Yeah. It's yeah, like, it's, or, or like read this message traffic to get a good handle. Like, get the, <laughs> just fucking write the normal shit. Right. That's yeah, always right, my frustration. Yeah. Like I can't read this. Yeah. It's like right? ZZ. Da, 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 dash, dash, zero, Zulu fucking. <laughs> and like, now what? <laughs> yeah. What are we talking about? Like, you know what I'm saying? We always have people on and we talk so much about, you know, the job and, you know, all this shit that we can relate to. And we always miss family. Like, 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 I feel like we oh, never yeah. get to like family and our spouses who like are like the main ingredient to a lot of our success and our resiliency in our career. So before, you know, you do get out of here, Steve, I do want to ask you about, um, your, your, your wife, your family. And, um, you know, just, you, I think you said you did 27 years, right. And just navigating your career, um, through when did like how long into your career did you get married? Um, so like I said, I went through uh joined the navy in uh fall of '92. I got married, I met my wife in in 2000. We got married in 2003, mm-hmm. so a good chunk of it pretty much most of my time in the SEAL teams. And you know, it's a miracle that she stuck with me. And you know, I'm I'm a lot, you know, I'll say this like you know, vulnerability or whatever, but. You know, a lot of the stuff that I'm most passionate about trying to communicate to other people are based on kind of my shortcomings, my failures, my mistakes, right? You know, I talk about how, you know, how important it is to kind of lead with character. And, and that doesn't mean that I've always done that. It certainly doesn't also mean that, like, when I talk about, you know, maintaining your focus and your composure, doesn't mean that I can always do that, right? But the difference is that I recognize that it's still something I'm committed to. So when I make those mistakes, when I fall short of what my personal values and beliefs and principles are, that I hold myself accountable, right? And I've got no choice but to move forward. And that's important, right? Because I don't want people to think that if they can't live up to these ideals, right? You set yourself a standard, right? You have, you live by a personal mission statement. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to fall short of that right? It doesn't mean you're a fraud. It just means that you got to take accountability. You got to learn from it and you got to just keep moving forward. I just wanted to put that out. Yeah. What do you think is the biggest mistake that you made? Man, I just, I don't want to get into a lot of details on that sense, but I just think honestly, if I, if I frame it broadly, it's like, I, I could manage, like, let's say I could manage certain things at work, Like you can, and I think this is not unique to me, right? You keep it together for your professional and then you just kind of let your guard down. And then oftentimes your family has to deal with that bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that was the case for me. Um, And I didn't always make the best decisions when it came to putting my family first, my wife first, Um, you know, 
and just things like that. I didn't always make the best moral ethical decisions. And I think maybe because of that, I realized just how important it is to endeavor to strive for doing those things. Yeah, I'm going through right now, we just got hit with an option to go back out to sea, right? And if it happens, it could be like a 90-day hit. Like, you know, I could fill out my 1306 is 90 days. Same time, right? My wife, she got a very personal matter that I don't even know if I'm able to discuss on a podcast yet, right? With my wife. Uh, and it's, it's crazy because I'm super, super uh, transparent on here, but I don't think I could talk about this yet. No, it's not but your on, decision maybe uh, yeah, completely, right? Yeah. But on top of all of this, she's in the process, it, like in the very early stages of it looks like she's about to have, you know, if anybody listening, they know she just got her degree, her master's, uh, she's a clinical social worker. Uh, and it looks as if she's in the process of being onboarded for a job. Right. So at the same time she does her interview for this job. Um, I get this message saying I could go back out to sea within 90 days. And it's, it's, it's dangling. They dangling, like they dangling the carrot and I, you know, I might, you know, go for it. And it's like, damn, you know, another one of those decisions. And as much as I don't, you know, want to like, so my whole thought process was, process was, I don't want to make a decision for her to move, um, just because I'm moving. Right. But in me trying to not make a decision for her to move, I'm also trying to make a decision for her not to move. So I had to step back and, and, and whatever it is that she wants to do in her career, you know, she could do it and we could kind of talk about it later. I did want to geo batch for a little bit. So, you know, she could get some acquaintance with this, uh, this new job. So I, I definitely, I, I say all that to say that I definitely understand that sack. I think we all do, you know, we definitely understand that sacrifice. I had a friend of mine, um, who I, I believe might be a mutual friend of ours, but he told me, um, Aaron Paul, who was on our podcast, uh, before he told me, um, one of his things that he regrets, it's funny, I don't even know if I'm saying it, fuck. but he told, me, he told me one of the things that he regrets is um, just moving around and like family moving as well and not, you know, not, you know, having that, those moments to kind of bloom and, and, you know, and blossom. And fortunately, he got a great wife who's doing great, but he did say, you know, he wished, you know, his family didn't have to move around as, uh, as much as he did. And, you know, so I'm thinking about those things too. Well, it's, you know, I don't, I think that's the one thing civilians don't understand, right? They think like, okay, well, yeah, you go to war and you do this, but it's like, what doesn't get talked about is that grind, that family grind that you put through, right? And I think oftentimes the, 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 the unit, right? The family unit that goes to war, right? To include the spouse and the kids Mm -hmm. that got to support home side, right? They don't get necessarily enough, enough credit for that. And I think it's like my wife used to used to drive her fucking nuts when like I should have friends and be like, God, my husband, he's got to go away. He's going to be gone almost five days. Like, Oh my, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she's like, (laughs) do you realize who you're talking to? Right. You know, my son's in, my husband's in Iraq right now for fucking five, six months. Right. It's people don't, don't realize that. And I guess my advice to people is just, and I didn't, and I don't know that I've navigated this, to the greatest extent possible, but it's like, Hey, you're doing these things right now. It's like, you got to kind of bank those credits with your spouse. Right. You know, cause you got to let her cash that shit in eventually. Right. Is, 
Like it's all about you right now because it's not a lot of options. Like you don't necessarily have a lot of choices about the military, but you will have choices at some point. You will have the opportunity to kind of make sacrifices, right? For your spouse to let them kind of, you know, have their moment in the sun to do great stuff, right? So I guess just remember that. Remember the sacrifices that he or she is making for you right now and and try to make up for it on the twilight of your career and after. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, I mean, that's, that's spot on, man. That's kind of where I'm at in my Navy career right now. Cause I already know wherever I go, if I was worth to go to somewhere else, it's not going to be in San Diego. Right. So I know that I got kids in high school and, and I'm not trying to go to VA. I'm not trying to go to Florida. I'm not trying to go to, not right now, but if I know they already talking about it. So like you said, I got to, it's time to, it's probably time to catch that, you know, and, and then think about, you know, family a little bit more right now while I can, cause if I'm going, ain't nothing I can do. You know, and so I got a, I got a chance, I got an option. So I think I'm, I'm about to take that option. Yeah, to retire anyway. Yeah, Steve, I listened to you talk about warrior toughness, and just listening to you talk about it, I, I was kind of taking a sense that you learned a little bit about it too on a, on the mental health uh, side of the. Uh, oh, 100 percent. I learned yeah. a shit ton, and I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, and yeah. I still maintain, I'm still good friends with the psychologist um, and, and the chaplain too. We we. Um, but yeah, I had a good friendship with, um, psychologist, uh, young lady, young, uh, I think she started off as a Lieutenant, um, Lieutenant commander when we kind of parted ways, I still maintain contact. She's great. She taught me so much. And I'm, I'm really, I'm grateful for that opportunity to be a part of that and learn so much. Yeah. I really wanted to move out uh, more to the fleet. Like it should, like it should move out to more to the fleet. Like we heard about it. We heard about it in boot camp. Everybody heard this story, right? About the uh, chaplain, about the psychologist and the SEAL. And we know everything. We got all the knowledge. We know it's uh, rolled out in boot camp, right? But I really want to see it uh, maturate in the fleet and like inculcate, right? That's the word the Navy like to use, like yeah. become more of a part of like every commands and the big Navy as a whole's culture, Based off my perspective, I haven't seen that yet as much as especially we do with the whole, it's a new kind of thing. I'm not sure how uh, close to the ground you are, but it's a thing called get real, get better that like I hear get real, get better at least 10 times a day. So I do, I definitely want us to uh, move forward in that direction. Uh, so uh, warrior toughness, we uh, we talked about, I appreciate that. Uh, we did talk about your time as a SEAL. We talked a little about family. I appreciate that. But if, and then the book again, can you tell us the name of that book again, just for the listeners and, uh, and it's coming yeah, out. No, you thanks, March. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's called life on the X Navy SEALs guide to meeting any challenge with courage, confidence, and readiness. And it's, it'll be out on Amazon on March 7th. You can do pre-orders here probably in the next week. And if you do a pre-order, we, we're going to do a little like kind of bonus. Like I, so basically the content that I talk about, it's almost like in the, in, in the SEAL team's we have, I don't, you know, if you do in the regular military, like you go out and you have like in your, in your body armor, little cheat sheets, like is, is somebody like who's not a radio guy. I'm not like a JTAC calling in fire, but if I ever get stuck mm-hmm. by myself and I need to do that, I can pull out this little laminated cheat sheet. So if you pre-order the book, I included like a cheat sheet that you can always have that tells you like really quickly, you're, you're preparing for something important. Let's go through, go through this checklist and, and make sure you have everything you need to be, to be dialed in for your big moments. So, yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's a prescriptive book. Again, some, a lot of good, good stories about professional athletes and how they focus. And that's the big thing with warrior toughness, right? A lot of it's based on my, my time with warrior toughness. It's like, if you are interested in how professional athletes, if you're interested in how they do great things 
on that court, on that ball field, uh-huh. then why not learn the same things that they learn and use that to make yourself better, to be more effective, right? To deal with stresses, right? Because that's what they do. So if it's good enough for them, it sure as hell good enough for me and it should be for everybody else. Yeah. And I, I, I always say I'm on record for saying that we need to approach our career the same way professional athletes approach theirs, because this is our career. This is the career I chose. So I'm, I'm working, I'm putting in a work like you talked about earlier when we were talking about like robbing a grocery store or whatever, like that muscle memory, that practice and all. I'm putting in the work, I'm putting in the practice. I'm staying competitive until the day I walk off the floor. Uh, um, or whatever like that. So I, I do correlate those two things. And then if people were looking for you, where could they find you? Yeah. Go to my website, um, stephendrum.com, uh, S T E P H E N D R U M like the instrument.com. And you know, if you want to contact me, contact me through the website, connect with me, uh, Steven drum on LinkedIn or that's you know Instagram, Steven that drum. Mm-hmm. Nah, I'm staying away from TikTok for now. I know everybody's like, gotta get TikTok, grow your following. And I'm like, it's just not for me. TikTok, I think TikTok. I think TikTok was for you anyway. Yeah. My daughter does enough of that for, for all of us. Yeah. She tried, did she has she tried to pull you in yet on a, a dance or anything? Uh yeah, I think that's a while ago. I think I'm, I'm just too embarrassing for her right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I saw David on the TikTok dash, man. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, man. They they got me when I was a little younger, man. They got me in the little dances, man. They had David in the middle fun, of the street. Fun. They had you in the middle of the street. Hey, David, you got any? Yeah, more? they was doing that little. What was they doing? What was again? I was, I was gonna ask if you had any more oh, yeah. um any more questions for Steve. No, I don't have no more questions, man. But I most definitely wanna wanna thank Steve for coming on, man. This is like I I learned a lot by listening to you, and I most definitely can tell you a speaker, man. Like you most definitely um, speak, and you when you you're thoughtful when you when you're speaking when you talk, man. So I very much enjoyed you um, on the episode. Uh, I will be pre-ordering the book. I'm just putting it out there right now. And Dumbo, you can you can Lying. count me on that. I'm going to pre-order the book. <laughs> and Dumbo gonna keep me on the Yeah, so when you guys buy the book, I'll at least have I'll I'll have two sales. So we got that. Yeah, yeah. yeah you got is, two. Yeah, you, you, you got book is bought. Yeah, bought. And for all the listeners, Duh. I'm buying y'all yeah. all books too. All the listeners, check it out. I'm buying all books. I'm buying all y'all books too. We're gonna put it on Damon Tab. <laughs> Well, well, I guess y'all ain't gonna have. <laughs> <laughs> I'll help you out. I'll help you out, Damon. Uh, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Hey, hey guys, it's been a great. I, I love the just the casual, free flowing conversation. Uh, it was great getting to know you guys for a couple hours, and and again, thank you. Grateful uh, to be able to share this time with you. Thanks for having me on.